0: The Washington Post reporting, well, okay, so, all right, so it's not actually reporting. It's saying it's near where guests enter the West Wing. That, I don't know if this has been confirmed. So they found some cocaine at the White House, and, of course, everybody's first reaction is, it was, you know, George W. Bush's, of course. Like, that's, so no, actually, on the left, they said it was, um, it was, Donald Trump Jr.'s. That's what they were saying. They were going with Donald Trump Jr. Like a bag of Coke was left over from like two years ago or something. Um, A lot of people on the right automatically went to Hunter Biden, him being an addict and all, Um, and now living at the White House. And so uh, that's where we've, we've stood for the last day, waiting to find out Where was it? Because if it was located in one place versus another, more likely than not, it would be, you know, staffers could have been, you know, family could have been guests, whatever. And so the Washington Post headline was uh, is the cocaine was found near where guests enter the West Wing, not the library, which is where I thought. Like, the initial reports from the New York Post listening to scanner traffic, which is why you always have to be wary of using scanner traffic in your news stories. Because stuff that goes uh, goes out over the radio does not necessarily uh, turn out to be true. And so, because you're in, you know, fog of war kind of stuff, and you're listening in on comms that, like, that's not, like, the stuff that they're getting, they're just trying to relay information so people can go where they need to go and what's happening... And apparently the device that was used to read uh, the the Coke in order to determine what it was, you know, because you find white powder substance in a bag at the White House. Yeah. And you got to be worried that it's anthrax or something, right? So apparently the scanning device has a a feature that says library. And so... What the scanner traffic may, what the guy may have been saying is something about, you know, the, go to the library. Because there's a button there that you press. So touch screen says library and you click it and it opens up all of the different kinds of uh, substances to test for. So that's apparently where the initial report came from, that it was in the library, uh, you know, with the lead pipe uh, by Professor Hunter. Um, well, of course, it would be the lead pipe. But it looks like it could have been a guest to the White House, brought there for a tour, brought cocaine, left it at the cell phone drop-off point. Like, who among us, right, has not made that kind of mistake? This is otherwise known as Hunter Biden's drop point. Where the guys come, never mind. Okay, so a judge on July 4th, Yesterday prohibited several federal agencies and officials of the Biden administration from working with social media companies about protected speech. A decision called a blow to censorship by one of the Republican officials who uh, filed the lawsuit that prompted this ruling. U.S. District Judge Terry Doty of Louisiana granted the injunction in response to a 2022 lawsuit brought by attorneys general in Louisiana and Missouri. And they said the federal government overstepped in its efforts to convince social media companies to address postings that could result in vaccine hesitancy during the pandemic or could even affect elections. He said there's substantial evidence of a far reaching censorship campaign. He wrote that the evidence produced so far depicts an almost dystopian scenario During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government, quote, seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. The Washington Times reports the lawsuit accused the administration of using the possibility of favorable or unfavorable uh, regulatory action in order to coerce social media platforms to squelch what the government considered misinformation on masks and vaccines. So this is more than just um hey we you know could you please flag this account? Oh, could you please do this? Would, just a request. What what the lawsuit alleges is that the administration dangled out a stick, right? Or I guess you would dangle the carrot, you would it would hold out the stick or threaten with the stick. A cost, if you will. Right? They showed the stick, which was, we're going to crack down on you, Facebook. We're going to start regulating you differently in ways you won't like. There will be punishment. It also touched on other topics. And you remember this, too, by the way, right? You remember listening to these Democrat elected officials screaming about how the social media companies weren't doing enough? Right? Just beating... This drum, probably with the stick that they were threatening them with, but beating the drum on more regulation, more regulation. It also touched on other topics, including claims about election integrity, as well as news stories about material on a laptop owned by Hunter Biden. Lawyers for the administration said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. See, we left it up to the social media companies to decide what constituted misinformation and how they should combat it. In one brief, they likened the lawsuit to an attempt to put a legal gag order on the federal government and to suppress the speech of federal government officials under the guise of protecting the speech rights of others. Oh, so it's the federal bureaucrats. It's the, it's the folks in the DOJ. They're the ones who are being suppressed my goodness my goodness this this quest to be the most victimized (laughs) uh, character in the story oh it's just fantastic but you are literally telling companies to 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 censor people and posts you're literally telling them to take stuff down but you're the victim because you have the right to tell them to do that Plaintiff's proposed injunction would significantly hinder the federal government's ability to combat foreign malign influence campaigns, prosecute crimes, protect the national security, and provide accurate information to the public on matters of grave public concern, such as health care and election integrity. That was what the government said. That's what the administration argued. The judge, not really buying it. Of course, It should be known that he is a Donald Trump appointee. So there you go. It's just a preliminary injunction. We're still going to move forward. He hasn't made any final ruling. He's just said that the plaintiffs have produced evidence of a massive effort from the White House and the federal agencies to, quote, suppress speech based on its content. He allowed for exceptions, actually. So he carved out some exceptions uh, for national security, for uh, uh, criminal activity. So this idea that, oh, we're not going to be able to engage in, you know, good police work, investigative work, you know, counter espionage work. National security threats are going to be left unseen and unaddressed. Criminals will get away with it. Well, they already do because of the prosecutor Soros has bought, but it doesn't matter. Like their argument doesn't really work because the, the judge carved out the exceptions. Do you remember back in 2021, two years ago, this month in July, White House Press Secretary Jen Pisaki, she said that the administration was, quote, flagging problematic posts for Facebook which prompted a reporter to ask how long they had been spying on people's profiles. Do you remember this one? Department of Homeland Security? They introduced a disinformation governance board. That was last year. It got shut down after all of the criticism. They want us to believe that they're not trying to do the thing that they say they're doing and have been caught doing, right? This is what's called gaslighting. It is psychological abuse. consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor there really is something for everyone at old grouch's military surplus in beautiful downtown clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. so going over this federal judge's injunction against the white house government agencies he says uh the plaintiffs which were the louisiana and missouri attorneys general said the plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits in establishing that the government used its power to silence the opposition opposition to COVID-19 vaccines, opposition to COVID-19 masking and lockdowns opposition to the lab leak theory of COVID-19 opposition to the validity of the 2020 election opposition to president Biden's policies statements that the Hunter Biden laptop story was true and opposition to policies of the government officials in power. All were suppressed. It is quite telling that each example or category of suppressed speech was conservative in nature. I'm I'm not sure I actually... I mean, some of the COVID stuff, there there was crossover. Not everybody that was, you know, questioning some of the science and data. Like, not everybody that was questioning we're all conservatives but um, there were a lot but then it became political right but remember when when it all started trump was president so you had a lot of liberals like i'm never taking that shot remember they would never think about taking the vaccine cuz that's a trump shot nothing that he ever did is going to be good enough to put in my body and then as soon as trump loses and biden's in then it's like oh yeah shut me up all were suppressed this targeted suppression of conservative ideas is a perfect example of viewpoint discrimination of political speech. American citizens have the right to engage in free debate about the significant issues affecting the country. Although this case is still relatively young, and at this stage, the court is only examining it in terms of whether or not the attorneys general uh, are going to have any likelihood of success on the merits. That's all that this injunction was looking at. The evidence produced so far depicts an almost dystopian scenario, right? And then he equates it to the Orwellian Ministry of Truth. And that's to say, you guys got to stop doing this right now. That's what the injunction's about. Now look, these plaintiffs, the attorneys general, they absolutely judge shopped, right? No, I have no doubt about it. They went looking for judges that were going to, be more likely to rule in their favor. And I believe this judge had a ruling that uh the lefties are deeming to be anti-vax. I've seen it. So, fine. The left does that all the time by the way. See, you know, the one judge up in uh, what Greensboro that always rules for all of the, you know, common cause NC and the uh Southern Coalition for Social Justice, like all of the lawsuits that the lefties bring in North Carolina, they always take it to this one guy. Um They judge shop up there. So the injunction says you have to stop these relationships. you got to stop your communications with these tech companies. You cannot do this stuff anymore unless it's for, like, national security purposes, whatever. Like, now the cynic in me, I hear these carve-outs, these exceptions, and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's a loophole that, you know, the FBI can drive a truck through if they want to. The Missouri Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, said, quote, the preliminary injunction prohibits nearly all of the federal government, including DHS, DOJ, and HHS, from coercing and colluding with social media companies to censor free speech. Among other things, he says, quote, key officials of the White House, the CDC, the FBI, the State Department, and other agencies are also blocked from participating in the federal government's vast censorship enterprise. Just as the judge hinted at in our first hearing in May, there's nothing stopping the feds from continuing to censor political speech without this injunction. The federal government, because think about it, they could start telling the social media companies, take down stories about this case. Suppress these stories. Don't amplify these stories. Don't allow for the stories to get spread. The federal government cannot be trusted to protect Americans' rights, which is precisely why our founders enshrined the First Amendment into the Constitution. Now, the Washington Post, they're very concerned. They're very concerned that this could upend years' worth of coordination between bureaucrats and the censors. (laughs) They say, quote, the ruling could have critical implications for tech companies which regularly communicate with government officials as well as our newsroom, especially during elections and emergencies such as the coronavirus pandemic where we wanted mean tweets taken down. Ed Morrissey, HotAir.com, he says, Boo-freaking-who. The First Amendment makes it patently clear government has no business regulating and censoring public debate and dissent. That's one of the key values... One of the key liberties that we celebrate every Independence Day. I got to believe the judge issued the ruling yesterday for that purpose. I got to believe he, he, it was lining up right and he just was like, this is too good. I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this out on Independence Day. Water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does for beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers. Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at com. That's com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? Um, We are awaiting the uh, press conference we are awaiting the press conference from Charlotte Mecklenburg police. Uh, this is billed as an update on 4th of July events. That's what it's billed as. Um, so apparently there were, I got to I have to admit, I, I w- did not work Sky Show last night. I was not at Sky Show. I was just saying to Bernie and Chris, I think I've worked, going back to my days when I was at the radio station in Rock Hill, and they would do July 4th. I've worked July 4th. I think at this point now, like since I got out of college, when I first started working in, in radio, I think I still may have worked. I think I, well, it may have now flipped. The, the, it, I think I worked more July 4ths than not. But I think it might have just shifted. Because back in the day, uh, before the Knights had their stadium uptown, WBT used to blow up like a quarter million dollars worth of dynamite right off the roofs of the skyscrapers and stuff. Um, that was that was always the WBT Sky Show. Okay, we have a guy here. It's a Lieutenant Kevin Petrus,
1: Ensuring that officers were in place for traffic control and crowd control. We are pleased that so many people were able to enjoy their holiday in our city. There were, however, several people arrested in the uptown area due to disruptive behavior. As the event went on, CMPD saw an increasing number of unsupervised juveniles enter the uptown area. Some of the unsupervised juveniles and teenagers began to disrupt the peaceful events of the night, creating a chaotic scene towards the end of the night. 32 people were arrested or cited for their actions in Uptown, including 17 juveniles and 15 adults. Four firearms were seized. Charges included a fray, carrying a concealed weapon, resisting a public officer, assault on a government official, disorderly conduct, possession of a firearm on city property, possession of pyrotechnic, and failure to disperse. In addition, The parent or guardian of 15 of the arrested juveniles were charged by citation for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. There were no known injuries for people attending the Uptown event. However, two CMPD police officers sustained known injuries as a result of the disruption. Chief of Police Johnny Jennings will now come to speak more about last night's events and answer your questions. He's joined by Deputy Chief David Robinson. Chief.
2: Thank you. Uh, thanks everyone for being here. I'm going to be brief just because I know we have a lot of questions that we're going to probably uh, get to right after I speak. Uh, however, I do want to um, make a comment that you did hear the numbers. Uh, you did hear what, uh, what the events led to last night, but I also want to commend our officers and our staff for the robust plan that was put together, uh, how we were able to execute that plan, de-escalate A lot of situations that uh, could have easily gotten well out of control last night, as well as taking guns off the streets uh, in a crowd of people that were just there to enjoy the festivities. Uh, I will say that you look at some of the things that, that have been going on as far as what happened last night, but I will tell you also that's not who Charlotte is, and that's not what we represent. A few people who decided to come out into the crowd last night for the main purpose of disrupting a a festive event with peaceful people that were out there just to enjoy the holidays caused so much disruption uh, that people couldn't enjoy it fully like they wanted to. Families, children, uh, many that were from out of town uh, that were coming to enjoy the fireworks, which was an awesome display of a celebration Uh, were disrupted by a few people that caused, that were there intentionally to cause issues. And for that, um, I'm disappointed. Uh, However, and you heard the accountability that we had, that we held uh, not only the juveniles that were out there, but the parents as well. And we're gonna continue to do that. And we're gonna continue to see more events that come to uh, our, our beautiful city and the responsibility that the police have to ensure the safety of everyone whether the citizens and the people that uh... come to visit and on top of that a great job as far as uh... even through our dispatch services where we had to prioritize calls for service we had to put into some contingency plans that we had in place which took people uh... from the divisions to come and respond briefly uptown but we were able to get them quickly back into the division so uh... everyone did a fantastic job on our end uh... but we're going to continue as i said our goal is always going to be to make sure that everyone is safe when we have these major events so with that um, i will take any questions as well as uh... deputy chief dave robinson who was in command last night As well but uh, we'll be happy to answer any questions you might have.
3: Chief, we've heard from several eyewitnesses that there were groups of juveniles who potentially were setting off fireworks that then started these fights and disruptions. From you, how did this all start?
2: Yes, that was, uh, that's correct. There were some juveniles, groups of juveniles, who had brought fireworks, illegal fireworks to the uptown area. Uh, and they were uh, lighting them but which did cause some concerns within some of the patrons that were out there but there it was far more than that there were also some juveniles did nothing but try to cause disruption by their actions alone simply uh, putting on a mask and running through a crowd is enough to uh, certainly cause concern with anyone out there and and we saw things like that so these were uh, these were planned behaviors that we did not we were not uh, aware that this was going to occur. Uh, and, but I think the response that we had within our police department was exceptional. Uh, and it could have been a whole lot worse, particularly when you see what's going on with things that happen across the country. Uh, I'm proud of the response that we had within the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department.
4: Chief, yes. uh, some people have said that they don't feel safe coming to Uptown for events like fireworks yes. and of course with all of our sports teams. What do you say about that, where you have residents now not, we're saying that they don't feel safe coming into Uptown for events?
2: Yeah, and that's unfortunate because we have a beautiful Uptown area, we have uh, amazing events, uh, and we have thousands of people, thousands of people every single year that come and enjoy festivities that we put on within uh, within our city. Uh, So uh, I will say that uh, perception is reality because if they don't feel safe then that means they're not going to take advantage of some of the great events that we do have. Uh, We want to try to uh, reverse that Uh, and for the majority of people I think they do feel safe and the majority of events that we have are very safe. Uh, We just uh, have to be able to get out in front of those few people that want to cause disruption uh, to those events and, and make sure that we mitigate those as best we can. Just
4: a follow up, how do you, how do you then change that perception? Yep. Um, I spoke to one person that said he had people in from there were people in from Brazil. Yep. and as soon as they saw this happen, they were like, this is a place we don't want to come back to. Wow. So how do you change that? Yeah,
2: I, I think the only way from from a police perspective is to look at the footprints. Uh, to see ingress, egress, what does that look like, uh, police presence uh, and to ensure that the people that are there are there to enjoy the event and not to cause disruption and uh, that's not an easy task uh, and I'm not saying that we will ever be 100% there but if you look at uh, how we are bringing people into these events and how they're leaving these events uh, and also our presence alone out there, I think will make an impact on these.
3: Chief, for the parents that were charged, what's your
2: message to those parents? That's a great question. The message is that you're responsible for the behavior of your young children when you leave them unattended at an event like this. Because uh, when you have 13, 14, 15-year-olds that have zero supervision uh, and free reign to go out and and, and join up with other teenagers and do whatever they want, uh, then the accountability is going to fall on the parents. And that's what we did last night.
3: Chief, can you talk about just the robust amount of personnel and officers who were there. We saw them in videos responding quickly, but what was the magnitude of those plans in place? Yeah,
2: I'm not going to get specific into the number of officers we did have, but we did have a very, like I said, a robust plan and you saw it where uh, when things did kick off, we were there very quickly uh, and we were able to mitigate very quickly. We were able to de-escalate a lot of situations that did not grow into major events because we were there Uh, and so I am proud of that Uh, and uh, however we still look at ways that we're going to be able to improve and do better. We're going to dissect all of this and our response and our plan and we're going to see where we can make it even better next year uh, and in other events that we see in Charlotte. just the
4: disruption that you found out was planned, are you liberty to say how you know that this was a plan, this,
2: the disruption, the throwing of firewood? Certainly. There, there's, there are ways that we can go back after the fact and, and certain individuals that we have arrested or uh, through juvenile arrests and things that we look at and see what's the connection between these individuals. And when you're able to do that, you piece together a few things that that you know is was something that they intended to do uh... when they came out to the event and as well as the actions themselves because when you have a group of people doing the same action knowing that it's going to disrupt uh... disrupt the crowd uh... then you can dedu- kind of deduct, uh, kind of uh... conclude that they had planned that event and they had planned to disrupt the event that we were having out there so
4: of the yeah. four firearms overseas, were they legally owned?
2: We're still looking, and I don't have the answer to that. Uh, I don't know if you have any further, but, uh, but yeah, we, we're still looking into into that.
3: Chief, I ask this because I know the Knights Ballpark is technically separate from Romare and yes. with what's happened out at Whitewater Center. Yes. What are the plans in place? They are not over the security and plans for the people at Romare, or are they? in their firework plan.
2: No, you're correct. They're, they're, they are responsible for everything around uh, the, the ball field. Uh, they, we have a great working relationship with them. They, they hired uh, off-duty staff uh, for safety and security, uh, not only within the park but outside of the park as well, uh, uh, the ball field. Um, and uh, with that, you know, we, the city of Charlotte and CMPD, we, every year we have a, a plan that we increase patrols and increase personnel. Uh, around the um, uptown area, uh, and and that's that's a, a yearly thing that we do because we know the Fourth of July does bring a large crowd into the city.
0: All right, that's Chief Johnny Jennings from Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department doing a news conference on uh, some of the disruptions uh, that occurred last night at the uh, the fireworks display. Well, after the WBT Sky Show that was going on, uh, and people came in from. Uh, outside of the area, unsupervised juveniles. The uh, the total count, 32 arrested, 17 juveniles, 15 adults. I'm going to resume, and let's see if it'll pick it up where we left it off. And unmute. Mm-hmm. Unmute. Brent, um, yeah, there
2: we go. Um, for each event that we have, but I think we look at all of them individually, see what historically what we've seen. Um uh, with with those events and and respond appropriately and uh, along with that you always have to have a contingency plan if things go a little bit further than what you thought they would like we did uh, yesterday and um, make sure that we are able to a- appropriately respond. Chief, just
4: two questions. One, how many parents were charged um, for these for the juvenile incidents? And the other is, can you compare? I know that there were some about what happened at Whitewater Center compared to this can you talk about
2: what was the difference in the plans or yes. the working with CMPD well um, first of all there were 15 parents who were cited for contributing to delinquency of a minor meaning that they left their children unsupervised and we were we made juvenile arrests for those individuals um, and what I can tell you is the difference is that uh, we worked together with uh, uh, Truest Field uh... in the nights um, staff and we make sure that we have a plan that we work holistically together to uh... for their fireworks display uh... they also uh... hire uh... not just off-duty cmpd officers but they also hire sh- um, mecklenburg county sheriff's office uh, deputies as well uh... and uh... along with all of that we come together and determine that this is a, this is a safe plan that how we can have a um, an operations plan that will ensure the safety uh, and uh, security of all the people that come to it. And uh, when we are able to do that, we are able to pull off successful events even if you have uh, groups of people who want to disrupt it. I think what you saw last night was the plan actually working. And when you don't have that, uh, it it can go off into all kinds of different directions. You have to ensure that we can have uh, emergency vehicles coming in, um, response by a CMPD by our officers that come in in case something happens, and that's what you saw
3: last night, Chief. How dangerous could this have been? We've seen video of people just scattering all over the place down there.
2: Certainly, you you're talking to uh, over ten thousand people uh, out out outside the the, the baseball field, and um, if you can imagine, if there weren't a proper police response uh the The chaos I heard there were people running into businesses. there were people trying to find shelter outside uh get away from um the chaos that they saw briefly out there in the in the uh park and if also the fact that c m p d officers out there alone how much of a deterrence did we see for people not to bring firearms? We had four firearms that we confiscated uh, I'm sure there were more that we didn't confiscate, but uh, also, to f- see that we have a presence out there, maybe that made some people leave their firearms in their cars or not bring them at all. So um, it's hard to tell. That's one of those intangibles to see what the effect that we have. But uh, I can assure you that if there was not some sort of command and control out there, we could have seen a lot worse.
0: Wait a minute. Hang on. Police presence acts as a deterrence to crime? Guys, this changes everything.